0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, February 26th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Alaska House passed a wide-ranging bipartisan education bill late Thursday. The 246 million dollar bill would permanently increase state education funding, boost internet speeds in some rural schools, and provide new support to charter schools. House Rules Committee Chair Representative Craig Johnson, an Anchorage Republican who shepherded the bill on behalf of House leadership, says it's a compromise.
1: So with this, we are ensuring that schools can plan. Is it everything they want? No. I'll go back to my original statement. Very seldom do you get everything you want. This is one of those examples.
0: The bill increases the base student allocation, the biggest piece of the state's education funding formula, by $680. That's the first substantial increase since 2016. The House Minority Leader, Independent Representative Calvin Shrogi of Anchorage, says it falls short of what's needed, but it's something.
2: It provides schools necessary support. Does it make them whole? No. But does it provide essential support to help them keep going? Does it put some fuel in the tank? It absolutely does.
0: The bill adds a new position in the Education Department dedicated to supporting charter schools and an appeal process for charter schools whose contracts are canceled. The bill would also boost state funding for correspondence students and provide support to young students with reading deficiencies. Senator Bill Wyachowski, the Anchorage Democrat and Senate Rules Committee Chair, said he planned to vote for the legislation and said he would not be surprised if the Senate simply voted to adopt the House's changes. He says he's optimistic.
2: I think this bodes well for the rest of the session. I think this bodes well for the other big issues that we have out there, the issues of defined benefit, the issues of uh, energy legislation which we have to pass.
0: But it's an open question whether Governor Mike Dunleavy will sign the bill. The governor's press staff did not immediately return requests for comment. Before the package was unveiled on Thursday, the governor's communications director said in a prepared statement that the governor would not support a bill that, quote, fails to address educational outcomes in public schools. For many of us, middle school has a bad rap. It's a stressful time when teenagers begin to test boundaries and explore their identities. But what if it was actually the curriculum? For one week, Blatchley Middle School in Sitka loses the books in all normal routines and allows students to discover their potential. It's still school, but it's nothing like the middle school we remember. KCAW's Catherine Rose dropped by Discover Your Potential Week and sent this report. It's a Thursday
1: morning in the Blatchley Middle School home economics room, and about 15 middle schoolers are buzzing around the room, three to a station, decorating cakes. It's the great Blatchley Bake Off session of Discover Your Potential, or DYP. And while the students aren't baking in an English garden, their energy is the same as the contestants on the popular TV show, eager, positive, and scrambling. All right, you guys, we are less than one hour out. One hour out. Language arts teacher Brock Vowell might be Blatchley's equivalent to Paul Hollywood today. But he says kids don't have to have baking experience to be in his class. Um, So it's really, you know, uh, I give them like a variety of cakes to choose from because we have a bunch of different experience levels here. And so they kind of choose their own cake and they collaborate with their team to kind of make a design that fits a specific theme that they kind of voted on. At the end of the week, a group of teachers judge the students' baking creations and award prizes to the winners. Last year's reigning champion, Tegan Woodcock, is rolling out a big swatch of fondant onto a counter.
0: Well, we're
1: using a fantasy theme, so we've also made a bunch of roses, and we're going to try and do like a white cover-up with uh, roses on it. At another station, newcomer Jake Carlos is making decorations for his team's Rapunzel cake rolling fondant between his fingers with green food coloring.
2: Uh, this is fondant. I'm trying to make it look like a tree.
1: Carlos hasn't done much baking before this class, but he can cook.
2: I, I, cook, I, cook, I cook sometimes. I make cereal, um, Hot Pockets. I, I, I cook rice. And um, I like eating eggs.
1: While these students decorate their cakes, upstairs another group of kids are flexing their artistic muscles in one of the other 70-plus activities available during DYP. But their mediums aren't fondant and frosting. They're liquid latex and scar wax.
2: Um, I'm Mary Killer Esser, and this is Get Gorgeous. It basically special effects stuff where we use materials to make us look like um, zombies or fake bruises or infected.
1: Keller-Esser points to a very detailed wound and a patch of tiny pustules.
2: My injury is a fungus infection, kind of like The Last of Us, but it's just a first stage infection. Special
1: education teacher Judith Young is leading this course. Sitting at her desk, which is covered with tiny takeout sauce cups filled with fake blood, she explains what teachers hope students will gain from DYP.
2: It gives them an opportunity to you know, spread their wings, learn different things they might not um, think they would like, but end up liking, or it gives them chances to do things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise.
1: Across the classroom, Casey Fish is slathering his arms and face in a white goop. This is gonna be my burned face okay. and arms. Um, the first layer is just a mix of latex and glue. He says he could see himself doing special effects in movies as a job one day. He cites the 80s horror film Friday the 13th as an example with some killer special effects makeup. I ask him if his character has a story. How did he get these burns? Um, it was a, a knock-knock joke that went too far. Knock, knock. Sorry. No way are we going to reveal humor so spicy it set the joke teller ablaze. You'll just have to wait 15 or 20 years to see the movie. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose.
0: The Juneau Assembly has offered grants to residents looking to build accessory dwelling units, often called mother-in-law apartments, since 2015. The goal was to promote housing construction in Juneau, especially for long-term rentals. They boosted funding for that grant program last year. But have the bigger grants drawn more applicants? KTOO's Clarice Larson finds out.
2: It's been six months since the Juno Assembly approved 16 grants amounting to $13,500 for residents who want to build accessory dwelling units on their properties. Members hope the grants would incentivize people to construct more housing. But the city's housing and land use specialist, Joseph Myers, says only one person has applied since the size of the grant more than doubled. You know, we, we are advertising it and we're putting it out there. Um, I've had a couple of inquiries, so there's some interest. It might just be um, that there was, you know, there's not a, a ton of knowledge of the program. The previous version of the grant only offered $6,000. More than 44 residents have used the grant funding since it began in 2015. In August, the city boosted the program to adjust for inflation and the rise in construction costs. Meyer says the cost of building additions, like accessory dwelling units, can be spendy, upwards of $100,000 in some cases. He says the city grant won't cover the entire cost of adding a unit, but he says it's a start. The price of putting in an accessory dwelling unit um, has always been a little bit expensive. We really wanted to try to be able to cover more of the cost or to try to provide more for people to develop more units. Assemblymember Michelle Bonet Hale supported increasing the grants back in August. Now she says she's not sure why people aren't biting at the opportunity, but one reason could be the high cost of construction.
0: It's just a drop in the bucket, right? I mean, it depends. Like if you're just like converting a room, like a you know converting something above a garage or something, that's one thing. But if you're actually building something, that's just a drop in the bucket.
2: Hale says restrictions can dissuade people from building more housing. Accessory dwelling unit grant recipients can't use the units as a short-term rental for at least five years. According to the 2023 Economic Indicator Report from the Juneau Economic Development Council, renters in Juneau pay an average of about $1,400 per month. On the flip side, the average rate for a short-term rental in Juneau is about $5,600 per month. That's according to data from AirDNA, a company that tracks short-term rentals in cities around the world. The city has sent out press releases and social media posts about the program. But Hale says they'll need to do more to promote it if they want more people to apply. City leaders say there are 15 grants now available. More information is available on the city's website. In Juneau, I'm Clarice Larson.
0: Alaska Department of Fish and Game are prohibiting fishing for ooligan in the waters around Ketchikan for the 2024 season. The announcement was made last week and includes all of Ravilla Island's surrounding waterways and nearby mainland drainages. ADF&G cited large fluctuations in run size over the last couple decades as the reason for the season-long closure, and the situation doesn't seem to be improving. Traditionally, strong runs, like the ones in the Yannick River near Ketchikan, continue to show poor to moderate returns, though managers admit stock status information is limited. In adf closure announcement, they added that, quote, a conservative approach is necessary for sustaining and rebuilding the health of these stocks, unquote. Ooligan, also known as candlefish, are a small, fatty species of smelt. The oily little fish makes its way into southeast Alaska's rivers once a year in the spring. They are also a prized subsistence resource. Despite the blanket closure of District 1 for all users, the U.S. Forest Service will have a limited subsistence fishery for Ooligan in the Yannick River. Due to Ketchikan's status as an urban area, a designation currently being contested by the Ketchikan Indian community, residents are not considered federally qualified and thus are prohibited from the limited Yannick fishery. Further north, District 8, which encompasses Wrangell, is open for the 2024 season. I'm Erin Fulton and this has been Raven News.